Well, man, it is so good to share this this service with you and uh, uh, to just look together at this topic. Our current series is called The End. You know, a little question mark at the end, like, is this the end? <laughs> Maybe. Um, and we are, this is week, is it four, I think? Something like that. If you haven't heard the first three messages, you can access them on our YouTube channel, uh, but I am honored to just be a participant, and this has been an adventure. Let me tell you, um, wow, I have heard Dan say it uh, these past three messages, like, wow, engaging the topic of what Scripture says about the end is like... So, but I'm really excited because I believe in the midst of all of that, like, my mind is mush, not gonna lie to you, so if I say... Three coherent words put together, celebrate, rejoice, take that, write in your journal, you know, maybe all you get. But um, no, I really do believe God has a nugget for us. And I think if it goes according to my plan, which I'm hoping is according to his plan, um, we're going to kind of funnel it from kind of some of this stuff into kind of that, that nugget that I believe God wants us to walk away with. But the topic, uh, th- well, before I mention the topic, Pastor Dan uh, opened the series by, and I just, it was such a blessing uh, to hear because he started by talking about what it's not, right? And it's not going to be a dogmatic series. It's not going to be like a, hey, here at Shine, you know, we do it our way or the highway. We subscribe to this is exactly what this means and exactly what this means and exactly, particularly with things that we don't believe are that clear just upon reading scripture. So we're not going to be dogmatic about it. We're not going to be divisive about it. Right? You can disagree with something or all or most of what I say tonight, um, and I, I'm going to love you, and you're welcome to email me or call me or you know, threaten me to go out to coffee or else with you or whatever. Like, it's, we believe that, that Jesus loves us, that, that he's given us his word to draw us near, to prepare us, to uh, encourage us. Pastor Dan mentioned that as well. Encourage each other with these words. To have a, a heart posture of humility. To have a heart posture of giving ourselves permission to learn. Right? Maybe, you know, stepping away from that first mention. Like, well, you know, man, I, wow. Studying this stuff? I'm telling you. Just all the stuff that I've been raised with just came right there. It's like, bam. Oh, yeah. I could, in fact, thinking about preparing this message, I was like, oh, yeah. Piece of cake. I can talk about, which our topic is the Antichrist. I was like, pfft got this. <laughs> then I went, started reading the scriptures, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> wait, this is a little more complex when you really take all of the added, like, this is exactly what this means, because dotted line over here, and then whiteboard, you know. <laughs> um, so all that, I feel like I've been, you know, kind of taken to school by the Holy Spirit, and uh, maybe he'll do a little bit of that in your life, but we're giving ourselves permission to learn, and uh, really the non-negotiables are that Jesus is dead set, life, live set on getting a bride for eternity. And you and I are a part of it. And he's preparing a place for us. And man, I don't know about all the details of how we're going to get there. But the good news is we're going to get there. And we're going to share eternity with him, loving him. He's going to be, we're going to, the words of that last song, not, I'm not here for blessings, but I'm seeking you. You know, that worship of him, man, that's what's non-negotiable. 
That's what he came for. That's what he is worthy of. That's what you and I are a part of. So it's a joy to be able to look at some of what scripture says and, and you know, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, you know, show us what you mean for us to know. Show us what you mean for us to understand. But more than anything, prepare my heart, Jesus, to just be hot on fire for you, to be watching, to be waiting, to be hoping, to be just expecting uh, and looking for your return. So that's kind of what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to spend the first chunk of this talking about what I don't know and then the last little bit talking about what I think I maybe do know. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> so if you think you do know some of any of this first like three quarters, feel free to chime in. I mean, we're not going to run mics around, but if you want to just raise your hand and interject something real quick, um, that's great. But I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit. As I said, our topic is the Antichrist. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So here goes, guys. We're going to jump in because there's a ton of information, a ton of slides. Speaking of, Jordan could probably use your help tonight. He would probably literally, if you went to the booth, train you in the next 30 seconds. And No, I'm just because there's like 50 slides. Anyway, not sure how many of them we'll get to. But Antichrist. I wanted to start with the definition of this word in the Greek. Antichristos. Anti, opposite to, or in place of. And Christos, which is Christ. Properly opposite to Christ or someone acting in place of Christ. So you kind of see two different kind of angles that can take. Somebody opposing Christ and somebody putting themselves in place of, right? Kind of as a counterfeit. And so that is going to come into play as we look at this whole idea of Antichrist. Uh, the Strong's usage is either one, well, kind of define this, either one who puts himself in place of or the enemy or opponent of the Messiah. Now, there's been much speculation about the Antichrist. Woo, glory to Jesus, man. If I could have a penny for every, like, book that's been written, podcast, movie, woo, <laughs> movie view, <laughs> hello. Um, in fact, you know what's funny is... Um, our YouTube channel viewings since we started this particular series on the entire what do you think? Whoop! <laughs> like, whoa, hit a little nerve there. Everybody wants to know about this stuff. Like, well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to not know about the end of times. <laughs> I, got, I better get my stuff together. So, you know, there's a lot of interest in it. There's a lot of speculation. Oh, my goodness, so much about it. Heard from a friend. Um, the only time... We heard Antichrist in our household growing up was when a Democrat was elected president. <laughs> I have to say, my household might resemble that statement. But hey, in some circles, in some Christian circles, our brothers and sisters might say, hey, whenever Trump was talked about, some people were going, oh, Antichrist, literally. And I'm not kidding. Some people, you know, were thinking that was it. Um, there are, you know, just so many other ideas of who the Antichrist could be. Anybody have a thought of somebody in the past that's kind of proven maybe not to be, but what was that? Everybody at one point or another? Anybody else? Leaders from the Middle East? Hitler? Who, sorry? Saddam Hussein? John F. Kennedy, wow, the, the mortal wound, will he come back? Okay, anyway, we're getting ahead of myself, but yeah, right, like there's just so much speculation about all of this, and I believe that much as we look at a little bit of just what scripture has to say, and again, guys, wow, like Pastor Dan has said, like we, this has humbled us more than any series by far in the history of 20, however many years of, of teaching or, or, you know, pastoral ministry, honestly, it's like you start getting into the word and you're like, 
man, there's just all kinds of viewpoints and scriptures and each one has their strengths and weaknesses and all this kind of stuff. So I stand here before you as one humbly, but I think there's value in God's word just in reading it. Would you agree? So if nothing else, we're going to read a couple of passages that, that do seem to refer to this idea of Antichrist, or at least possibly could, and, uh, and I believe that there's just power as God's word is released. So the, the idea of the Antichrist is based uh, fairly heavily on um, the book of Revelation, uh, which God gave the apostle John, and also the prophetic writings of Daniel, the second half of Daniel, obviously 500 years or so uh, before Christ. And so I wanted to talk about the beast of Revelation, chapter 13 of um, Revelation. And I'm just going to read like this whole chapter, I think, or like, yeah, a bunch of it. So, uh, you know, get your pillow out and your get your make blanky get yourself comfortable have a snack whatever uh here's what it says the dragon stood in a place on the shore uh, stood on the shore of the sea and i saw a beast coming out of the sea it had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name the beast i saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. How many years is that? Any mathematicians? Yes, three and a half years. That's kind of significant, right? Seems to be in prophetic uh, writings. Okay. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. That is, I'm adding that. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let, him, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed by the sword, by the sword they will be killed. This calls for, pay attention here, guys. This is, you know, significant. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Verse 11, everybody Okay. Verse 11, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in the, uh, excuse me, to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Verse 16, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name 
of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. There's another call for us. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is... Oh, I was hoping for like a dun, 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 six, six, six. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, God. Um, okay. So much in there. Would anybody, has anybody heard this passage in relation to the Antichrist? Yes? I mean, wow. Okay. So kind of like, oh, of course. Okay. All right. Um, so definitely one of the key passages that we associate with the idea of the Antichrist. Um, so much in there, right? The dragon is clearly identified as Satan in chapter 13 of, of uh, Revelation. So we know that this beast derives its power directly from Satan. It's given authority. It persecutes uh, God's holy people for three and a half years. And so there's so much there. Uh, people who believe that this is speaking directly of the Antichrist, of a person or power during the last times, would associate that three and a half years of persecution, oftentimes with the first half of the seven-year period. Pastor Dan's been talking about the great tribulation in those end times. Make sense so far? Um, uh, all people, you know, were forced to, to worship the beast, to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. So we know that deception is going to be a huge part, according to this passage, of what the beast does. And then we have this idea of all people are forced to worship the beast and to receive this mark on their foreheads or on their hands, right? The mark, the number of the beast being uh, 666. Anybody seen any movies, read any books, listened to anything about that? Okay. There's even songs written about it, like... I don't know. Anyway, um, 666. But here's the deal. What is the mark of the beast? Um, a lot of different interpretations as to what the mark could be. Um, some of the earlier ones were that it was Roman coins. They had an inscription of the Roman emperor that all Christians were supposed to worship during the time of the early Christians. And so even some Christians believe that those early coins were actually the mark of the beast and didn't want to use them to buy or sell. And they actually created an alternative currency for a period of time that they could use as Jews. So that's been something that's been thrown out as a possible uh, mark of the beast. Uh, what about this? Anybody remember when credit cards came out? There were people who thought credit cards were the mark of the beast. Maybe some of you were told that at one point or another. Interestingly enough, uh, um, when the number 666, identified as the number of the beast, uh, was broken down into Roman, Greek, and Babylonian alphabets, it appeared to spell out the word visa. <laughs> so go with MasterCard. Just That's for free, guys. Or American Express, Discover. I don't know. Anyway, just to be safe, right? I mean, we need to check into what the church cards are, Dan. But anyway... <laughs> what about this? Uh, when barcodes came out, anybody remember that came out? All the UPC symbols? Did anybody remember? Oh, be careful. Here we go. Because the two long little lines at the beginning, the two long ones in the middle, the, I'm, not, I'm serious. I was told like each of those stand for the number six. And then all the little, you know, UPC numbers in the middle. And so that's six, six, six. Be careful. Bzz, don't do it. Guys, you're learning stuff. Don't take a UPC symbol on your forehead just to be safe. All right. Uh, what about this? Microchips. When we begin to have the technology to plant microchips with health record information, banking information, all this kind of stuff, right? The electronic age. Would you agree? There was probably many who have thought, uh-oh, be careful. 
because that is something easily, right? I mean, we have the technology. You can go to the, uh, what is it, the four-star Amazon store and all that kind of stuff and, you know, pretty much like walk out of the store and scan. I don't know. Like there's all this technology now where you can kind of like, beep, and you're like, I guess I bought all this. You know, you get like a receipt emailed to you. You're like, was it on my phone? No, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's on my phone, but it's not in my right hand. On my phone. Don't ever put your phone on your, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, any other thoughts of what the mark of the beast might be? Vaccines? Did I hear it? Did I hear it? There, are, there have been people probably that have thought, hey, the mark of the beast is the vaccine. There's secretly, you know, there's something else mixed in with it, and all of a sudden, bam. So many different things, right? Oh, my goodness. Um, I believe Pastor Dan mentioned it last week. Uh, what scripture seems to teach is it says this. When it says this calls for wisdom, let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. And then it goes on to say it's 666. I believe we're being told that we don't have to walk in fear of being like innocently duped thinking that, you know, that we're shopping for a book and, you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden, well, I took the mark of the beast and I'm cursed forever and ever to the lake of fire. Like, I believe we can rest in the fact that the word of God says, hey, I want to give wisdom to my people. I want to give discernment to my people. I am with you. I'm going to help you navigate whatever this all looks like. So rest in that fact. There's been so much fear around this, hasn't there? And I think, to be honest with you guys, we pastors are to blame for some of that because fear is a great motivator, isn't it? I mean, honestly, fear is a great way to get people witnessing, sharing their faith, it's a great, great way to get people in the doors of a church. It's a great, great way to get people at prayer meetings. It's a great way to get people tithing or giving, you know, you know, fear and just, oh man, don't let your love grow cold. And this is what that looks like to be able to stay on fire for God. And I've got the list for you. Here you go. Follow my list. And I believe that we spiritual leaders at times have used fear as, as a motivator of God's people or maybe we've used it for financial gain because I'm telling you what, as I mentioned, there's such an interest that anybody, if our little YouTube channel goes up, when we're talking about it, I don't think we're charging it. Are we charging? Am I making like a quarter per view or something? Because no. it was like 15 views. How much is a quarter times? That's, that's money. That's, that's real money. I want my cut, Dan. Okay. But the point is, right, if you write books, if you make movies, I mean, there's just, it seems to be such an interest. There's money involved in this. I believe God wants us to know, guys, he's our shepherd. He wants us to know that if our heart is towards him, if our heart is to honor him, to please him, to lo love him with all uh, uh, everything we are, he's with us and he's going to give us insight. Okay, here's some good news. You guys ready for some good news? All right, Revelation 17, 12 through 14. Listen to this. Uh, oh, no, sorry. I got to say one other thing. Okay, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more a little bit later about some other possible interpretations of this, but... Interesting to know that some schools of thought believe that some of these prophecies uh, referred to the Roman emperor Nero. Y'all have heard about Nero. Bad dude, right? Grabbed Christians, dipped them in oil, put them on pole. Sorry, many kids in here. Um, you're, you're very mature for your age, right? <laughs> Lit them on fire in his garden when he was having, you know, corporate events and things like that. Um, very demonic dude, like literally would dress up as a beast and anyway, 
torment his prisoners in, in all kinds of ways that I'm not gonna mention right now, but, but truly one of the most evil, evil people that have ever lived. Um, when you translate his name from uh, Latin to Hebrew, the numbers of his names, you know how different letters have like, uh, you know, X is 10 and V is like 50, I think, and, or L is 50 and C is 100 and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, when you translate it to Hebrew, his name actually comes out spelling 666. So some people believe that it would have been a way to refer to Nero by these Christians that were being persecuted brutally in the first century and actually be able to refer to him without adding danger to those who were re receiving these writings. So interesting thought um, there, and I'll, um, I'll come back to that. Other people believe that that mark of the beast could be symbolic, kind of the yang to the ying of the mark on the 144,000 that God chose. Because do you guys agree that everything the devil does is a counterfeit? The devil's always trying to copy what God's doing. The devil's jealous of Jesus going after his bride and this exciting adventure and plan that he has to be with us for eternity, worshiping him in his presence with joy, redeemed by his blood, made new, just, you know, this amazing future that Jesus has, has, has envisioned and put into motion and is working out his plan with complete sovereignty, complete authority, complete power. The enemy is so jealous. So some people are saying, you know what? Just like those marked by God, that might not be a physical mark of like, you know, oh, there's like a tattoo on my forehead. You know, it might be just like I'm sealed with the holiness of God, with love for God that burns hot in my heart. Some people believe the mark of the beast could be symbolic of those who are choosing to worship this being, this world system, okay? Anyway, good news. Here we go. Revelation 17, 12 through 14 says this. The 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for, uh, who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. But... Big butt here, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him, get this, will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Woo! Is that good news, guys? That is good news for us. The lamb is going to crush the beast and with him is going to be those of us who are his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Say, that's gonna be me. Amen. It's going to be you. I love it. Um, okay, I'm going to skip ahead. There's more good news in Revelation 19 you can read about when, you know, the, uh, uh, the beast is cast into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. But I want to pivot a little bit here and talk about the other big segment uh, that refers to, to kind of this, that kind of helps shape this doctrine. And that is the ruler found in the book of Daniel and the phrase abomination that causes desolation. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Okay. I want to start by reading uh, chapter 7 of Daniel, verses 19 through 27, and it reads like this. Then I wanted to know, this is Daniel writing, the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which the three of them fell. The horn that looked 
more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So again, ten horns, ten horns. Okay, mouth that speaks boastfully or blasphemously, so we kind of see that. Verse 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until, 22, the ancient of days. Who's that? Jesus, our God. Until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High at the time, uh, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Verse 23, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. We just read about 10 kings, right? Uh, After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. Verse 25, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Any mathematicians in the house? Three and a half years, potentially, right? Uh, But... More good news here, verse 26. The court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Amen. Yeah, that's a good place to say hallelujah. The court will sit. How many of you guys know when the court of God sits, something's about to change. The court will sit and his power, the beast power, will be taken away, completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Hallelujah. Can we say we had church and we can get out of here half an hour early? Thank you, Lord. Lock the doors, ushers, please. That was a joke. Okay. That would be a great place, though. But clearly, God is being very clear that he has all power, all dominion, and that this is all part of what he is allowing and what he is uh, designing to happen. Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27 says this, the people of the ruler who come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Many believe that ties into the 69 or the 70 weeks of Daniel, right? We've we've heard there was going to be 69 weeks until the coming of Christ. And then there's kind of a question of whether the 70th week happens then or whether it happens at the end of times. But um, it seems to refer to the fact that this person will, um, sorry, uh, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, or one period of seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, can I read you one more and then make some comments? Okay, I know this is just a lot of prophecy, but one more passage in Daniel. That's Daniel 11, 28 through 31. This is part of a huge, a huge prophetic dream that is given to Daniel. And I'm just going to say this. Daniel is given an extraordinarily detailed dream that begins with this animal that has two horns that stand for the Medes and the Persians. 
The Medes and the Persians was the empire that was going to conquer Babylon. So remember, Daniel is serving the kings of Babylon, like Belshazzar and Darius and all of those guys, right? And then uh, the Medes and the Persians are coming, or, or you know, Nebuchadnezzar and all those guys. Anyway, uh, the king that was going to come was, was uh, Medes and the Persians, a combined empire. After that, it was a goat with a, like a unicorn goat. Pretty cool, right, Titus? Like, okay, I could, you know, potentially have that on a school binder. Um, that, that represented Alexander the Great with incredible clarity, guys. It'll go, it was like literally like gliding. It wasn't even really like touching the ground. It was like maybe even moonwalking. You know, I don't know. Like, but it was this goat that was like going to and fro throughout the whole earth, conquering everything in sight. Follows perfectly to a T, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. One horn, all of a sudden it says, bam, it was cut off like halfway in its life. Alexander the Great, bam, dies at like 32. Then it says that none of his descendants took over. Four, four kingdoms arose. Alexander the Great left his empire to four generals. And this stuff, guys, it is, it is so, it makes me emotional because the way the Lord prophesied this and gave so much exact detail to Daniel. It, Daniel has been accused that it was be written after the fact because it lines up so miraculously with the history of several hundred years after Daniel lived, literally up until almost the time of Christ. So it's, it's true. That alone should give us, guys, that alone should say, my God is sovereign. My God knows what's going on. And he's, he's written it down and he's following a plan. And if I'm in the palm of his hand, that's a pretty good place to be. Amen? So powerful. Go and read that. It's and then, yeah, anyway, unbelievable. Okay, what, I just got to, one more thing. One more thing about this. This total side tangent. Yeah, Cammie's going to tell me later, don't go on that side tangent tomorrow. Just keep it. Okay, when, when Alexander the Great came to, to Jerusalem and he was conquering all this stuff, he had a dream and he saw a high priest dressed in the high priestly garments. And meanwhile... The high priest of Jerusalem at the time, I believe also had a dream or felt like God told him normally when king's armies were coming to conquer, all the priests would just dress in white, kind of like, I guess, generic priestly, like, you know, universal color of priesthood, like, hey, you know, like red cross, don't shoot. <laughs> we're like clergy, <laughs> whatever, you know. So normally they would just like dress in white, just kind of like, don't, you know. He had this insight from God, and you can read this, I think it's Josephus, the historian, I'm not sure who wrote this, to say, nope, we're going to just dress in our regular priestly garments that God designed and gave to Moses. So they kind of took a chance, like, you sure? Because, <laughs> you know, what if they just think it's like a special forces unit? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, sorry, but <laughs> wrong, wrong millennium. But anyway, but they did it. They dressed like that. Um, they go out to meet the, the conquering armies of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great goes, stop. He looks at the high priest and he goes, I saw you in a dream, dressed exactly like that. And, Ali, and the high priest says, grab the scroll of Daniel and reads him these passages. It says, look, I think this talks about you and Alexander the Great. Historians tell us, read that. and goes, that is totally talking about me. And he did not destroy Jerusalem. Because he feared the God that had given that revelation to his people. Isn't that cool? I'll tell you what, guys, our God, our God is sovereign. He's awesome. He's all-powerful. 
Anyway, so in the midst of all of this, wow, okay, getting excited. In the midst of all of this prophetic writing in Daniel, 11, 28 through 31 says this, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different than what it was before. Ships from the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vet his fury against the holy covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. There's that phrase again, right? Abomination that causes desolation. That seems to be a really important phrase in connection with kind of this idea um, tying into Revelation, Daniel, potentially tying into Antichrist or this idea of the beast and, and, and these prophetic writings. Here's what's interesting. Scholars generally agree that the first or second references, the one that we read in chapter 7, and maybe even the one in chapter 9, refer to... Guys, I'm sorry. Wow, I can't get emotional. Somebody, somebody tell me tomorrow not to do this. Okay. They, they believe that, again, the detail... That you, I just kind of gave you some examples of the level of detail and specificity that God gave Daniel. Basically, there was a Seleucid king in uh, 175 to 164 before Christ whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and he ruled Palestine during that time. He treated Israel with such violence and contempt that they rebelled against him. When he came to suppress the rebellion, his forces entered the temple, stopped the regular sacrifices, set up an idol of or an altar for Zeus, and apparently offered pigs there as a sacrifice. So certainly, we know that, that at least a portion of Daniel's prophecy was speaking, again, it's, it's just going from Medes and the Persians, Alexander the Great, you know, just going down, and we believe it speaks to this Seleucid king right, who actually set up, uh, sacrificed pigs on the altar of, they would have said, yes, this is definitely an abomination that causes desolation. This is, this is the epitome of, of, of desecrating all that is holy, and, and for the Jews, it would have been an absolutely terrible, terrible thing. But the question is, or what, what people uh, believe that have the school of thought that that prophecy, abomination that causes desolation, also speaks of a future time. Obviously, there was the time that Titus and his armies destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, okay? So 40 years after Jesus died, the Romans came in, bam, burned the temple to the ground, burned Jerusalem. It was like ultimate destruction for Jerusalem. So there's kind of a reference to that. Matthew 24, Pastor Dan talked about it. That is kind of parsed out as to what is Jesus saying about the destruction of Jerusalem? Because if you remember, the disciples asked when will this, Jesus said, see this temple, see these stones? They're not going to be here very long. They won't be here forever. And the disciples asked him, oh, what, tell us, when is this going to happen? And when is the coming of the Messiah and the end of all things? So they kind of ask him three questions. He starts addressing, you know, the first and then the second and the third. So there's kind of discussion as to how much of Matthew 24, when Jesus says the abomination that causes desolation, and he's talking about those kinds of things, how much of that was he preparing his disciples for what was imminent, the danger that was imminent, the Roman armies coming in AD 70? When he speaks of, hey, pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Let all who are in Judea run to the hills, right? Does that, does that sound like it's 
focusing on a very specific geographic, like a people group, Jews, who don't run on the Sabbath, and let all who are in Judea not come back and get their coat, but run for the hills, right? Can you see how that could be like, so, so there's great hours can be spent on how much of these prophecies were actually Jesus saying, guys, there's something super big on the horizon, and I love you as my disciples, and I love you as my people, and I don't want this little teeny blossoming community of faith that are following me to be snuffed out by the enemy's forces when they come and destroy Jerusalem. So I'm giving you, you know, survival tips on, hey, when you see this happening, when you see these signs, run for the hills, get out of town, get out of Dodge. And many people did that. The Jews, actually, many of them who believed the words of Jesus moved out of Jerusalem before the armies came to a little place called Pella. Not Pella, Iowa, though it could have been, but Pella is another little town somewhere in that part of the world. Anyway, so what I'm saying is there's a specific application to it, and then there's an application as to, okay, how much of this could be speaking of the end of days. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, sorry. I know this kind of can be confusing. Okay, so those two are the big chunks. Then there is 2 Thessalonians, how are we doing for now? 11 after, okay. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. I'm just going to read this. This is a New Testament passage that really focus uh, or may very well point to um, uh, uh, this idea of the Antichrist. Okay, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Remember the first scripture we read? Deception is a big part, right, of what the enemy's work is. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Does that kind of sound familiar? You know, kind of, you see those dotted lines with, with some of those passages in Revelation and in Daniel. Uh, he's exalting himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know, okay, get this. Now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For a secret or the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Kind of sound like some of those different things of fire from the sky. Can I make that connection there? And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them. Here's a little twist is that God actually, in this reading, sends a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Okay, so 
Here's a, one of the main New Testament passages written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica um, about potentially this idea of the man of lawlessness. That, that concept is introduced, right? The man of lawlessness. Um, and so here's the thing. The church in Thessalonica uh, had, it was in, in chapter 17 of Acts, Paul had visited there after Philippi. They started the church after three weeks. They were there three weeks. Bam, church. Like people like, woohoo, we believe in Jesus. We want to be baptized. Here's our tithe check. I don't know. <laughs> You're the children's worker. Okay, let's go. So there's all this excitement or whatever, but what they believed was that they had heard some rumors that, oh no, did we miss the coming of the Lord? Did we miss the day of the Lord? And so uh, Paul wanted to correct that, and he also wanted to correct the idea in First and Thess Second Thessalonians that like, it was going to happen like in two weeks. So everybody quit your job, like get out there on the street corner, make a sign that says the end is near. And don't do anything but just kind of like sit and wait, right? And he was kind of like, hey, at one point in Thessalonians, he's like, hey, everybody, get a job, go to work, <laughs> you know, like feed your kids. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you know, there's, there's a perspective, there's a balance between anticipating the Lord's coming, but also occupying till he comes, right? Working and doing, living our, our lives, right? Anybody here have things you feel are from God? Loving your kids? helping them with their homework, like their education. I mean, yes, Jesus could come back before the test, but he also could not. He probably should study, right? Just a little free one for you guys. Okay, I'm just saying, right? So that was their time. They had swung the pendulum way over here to like just stop everything and just wait for the coming of the Lord. And so he was kind of trying to, to correct this. So we see all these phrases. Um, when it comes to what this man of lawlessness is, some believe that it could even refer to, again, a very concrete application to what was going on in that time period. Emperor Caligula, Nero, or one of the other Roman emperors. They constantly were going about asserting themselves as God, trying to get everybody to worship them, right? They had no regard for God's covenant. They had no regard for the sacrifices. So very much we see... That, that there are some who would assert those guys would fit the idea of a man of lawlessness fully revealed and, and that spirit completely let free in the world and then Jesus would come and crush it. Uh, a Protestant interpretation uh, of this has been at times the papacy, 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 the Pope. Literally, did you know that? There's some Protestants who believed that the man of lawlessness was actually the Pope. They believe from, you know, the, the book of Revelation that the Catholic Church uh, was the great harlot and all this. So there's, there's thoughts. Some believe that the man of lawlessness, you know, could be the Pope. Uh, others, uh, and, and the view held by most of the early church fathers, is that the man of sin or the man of lawlessness is an individual in whom uh, sin will embody itself in its most lawless and God-denying form. Again, this was a Jewish phrase. Man of lawlessness was a Jewish phrase for like the worst kind of enemy of God, right? A person who just absolutely did not care. You gotta remember, put yourself in a Jewish mindset. Lawlessness, that was how they honored the Lord, right? Is by embracing his commands, by embracing his law. They, they believed that the law of the Lord was, was their glory. It was, it was how God showed them favor and made covenant with them among all the nations of the earth. So sometimes I think in our modern day, we're like, oh, the law, oh, I'm saved by grace. But yeah, Putting ourselves back in, in their shoes, uh, the concept of a man of lawlessness would be somebody who completely rejects 
the, the laws that God has established to have relationship with us. So all that to say, I'm not going to tell you what you need to believe. But all of that, can you see like there's a lot in there? Okay. That's what I don't know. Okay? Literally. Like, I don't know, guys. Because there is most, we've got, let me give you a couple of terms here, and then I'm going to close by, by talking about First John. Um, much end times theology uh, in the circles that I was raised in is what's called futurist. What futurist does is everything points to the end times. So like anything we read about, it's got to happen in the last like 10 years of, of the planet. You know what I'm saying? Like just crunch it in, fit it in somehow. Double over seals and trumpets and bowls if you have to. Just it's got to fit. Like it's got to happen in this, you know, week. There are other views. So literally if you would have had me teach you a week ago, I'd have been like, oh, that's exactly what's going to happen. Don't you know that? Come on, you know, get that cone out of my face, you know? Who doesn't know that? But my son, of all people, brings me, like, this victorious eschatology book that I've literally read the whole thing in 24 hours. I don't think I've ever read a whole book in a day before. Whole, like, oh, experiencing what Dan has mentioned is the whole... <laughs> So there is this partial preterist view. There's a preterist view, the fancy term I know, bring it up at dinner, you'll impress your friends, um, that believe that all of these prophecies were already fulfilled, right? How sad, because obviously it doesn't leave anything to be hoping for the, really the Lord's return. Kind of sad. I wouldn't necessarily encourage too much, and even a lot of Christian scholars are kind of like, eh, that's probably one to not necessarily, I, I to exercise extreme caution, in, in exploring that view, but obviously research it, the Holy Spirit's in you. But there's a partial preterist, which kind of takes scriptures and goes, well, let's look at what has been fulfilled by Nero, by the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, by these different things, and then let's look and see what makes the most sense. So like in looking at the prophecies of Daniel, they would even say all the 70 weeks happened all together. And literally, it, there's actually 483 years to AD 27, which is when Jesus was revealed and started his ministry because he actually was born four years B.C. There was a monk in the sixth century that made a mistake. You know? Anyway, so Jesus actually lived four B.C. to like 29 B. So A.D., if that makes sense, 33 years. Um, and so literally the math plays out perfectly. And, and so there's even arguments about, wow, when Jesus began his ministry, that could have began the last seven-year period of which in the middle of it after, 30, after three and a half years, sacrifices were ended because he is the sacrifice. And then at the end of that seven years could be approximately where Stephen was stoned and where the gospel began to go to all of the world. So it was the end of, of kind of the, the, the covenant specific to God's people, the Jews. And now God begins to say, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining my covenant with you, but I'm bringing in the nations. All kinds of, again, I don't know. Here's what I do know. You ready? You ready to get out of here? Anybody like done? Okay. God forgive you if you're done. You're supposed to always be super interested when I'm teaching. Okay, in studying this, the word antichrist, how many, with all of the books, all of the movies, all of the songs, all the puzzles, all of the podcasts that have been made about the antichrist, how many times do you think the antichrist appears in the Bible, like that term? Would you say like 100 to 200, anybody? 
50 to 100. Okay, got one taker. Uh, 25 to 50. Got another. Uh, 10 to 25. Okay, got more. Uh, 6 to 10. Got some maybes. Uh, 1 to 5. You guys are too smart. Yes, it's five times. Antichrist appears five times. That's it. None of them in the book of Revelation. None of them in Daniel. Not in Thessalonians. Only by John, the beloved. The author of Revelation. Ironically, he didn't use... After getting the Revelation, he actually had used Antichrist in 1 John and 2 John. I'm going to read them to you. And then he doesn't even think like, oh, should I tie back to, you know, that seems like a very scary topic that people might be wondering about. Like, and I'm describing the beast and all these different things. Should I just like, oh yeah, by the way, guys, this is the Antichrist that I was talking about earlier. No, it doesn't. Okay. Just food for thought. Okay. Use of the word Antichrist. Here we go. First John, I'm going to read you the passages and then we're going to try to get you out of here. Okay. First John 2, 18 through 25. Children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Past tense. Or present perfect, whatever that is. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Okay, so he, in his mind, he's kind of towards the last part of that first century. In his mind, it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Tracking so far? But, but they went out. Guys, don't ever leave this church. <laughs> Speaking of manipulative pastors, if you go out from us, no, I'm just kidding. Ooh, Mufasa, okay. <laughs> but they went out that it might be complained that uh, they are not all of us. But you, listen, ooh, okay, I'm going to preach up in here. Okay, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. You know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made uh, to us, eternal life. That's God's will for you. That's the promise he's made to you. Eternal life. What about this one? 1 John 4, 1 through 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is that good news, guys? Man, that's good news. Woo! 2 John 1, 7, last one. 
And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers, there's that deceiving work, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess Jesus uh, Christ in, excuse me, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. You just heard every biblical reference to Antichrist. How do you feel? <laughs> it, I don't know. Again, guys, there's so much I don't know. Like I literally, I know less than I did a week ago after hours and hours. But, but what I do know is what John writes about the, if you want to know about the Antichrist, now, we can talk about beasts, and, but if you want to know about Antichrist, John is saying, man, there's a spirit at work in the world who is deceiving people, who's resisting the anointed one and trying to stop the advance of the kingdom of God. There was actually a, a heresy in the early church called uh, uh, Gnosticism, and it was that spirit was good, matter was bad, so Jesus could not have come in physical flesh the word could not have been made flesh and dwelt among us as really one of us. He was, so this guy named Serinthian was a troublemaker and he believed, well, the spirit of the Christ kind of came on this man Jesus at his baptism and then when he hung on the cross, spirit's like, huh, peace out. I don't like this part. Went back to heaven. That was called Serinthianism. But it was Gnosticism. It was like all this knowledge, putting together dotting, dotted lines and whiteboards and having all this secret knowledge. That's what made you acceptable to God. It wasn't just taking the gospel at face value. And is there something about knowledge that, is it like a little seed? You know what I mean? Can you, like, oh, I want to know. What is that secret? You know, what? what, what is, is there a secret verse in Second Hezekiah that talks about, oh, oh cool. You didn't talk about that at your lady's study? Because we did at our church. You know, whatever. Like, right? There's just something in us that wants that knowledge. That wants to feel like, man, I'm in. I'm in the inner circle. God, I'm, I'm one of the ones that knows. And I believe that's against the spirit. In fact, a third of the Christian church by 150 AD had succumbed to Gnosticism. It was the main enemy that was trying to squelch the budding church of Jesus Christ in its infancy. And the apostle John, the last living apostle, was like fighting that spirit and fighting that, saying, no, I know. In fact, in 1 John, it starts by the one we have touched, the one we have beheld, the one we have fell with our hands and heard with our ears. And do you know what I'm saying? I, don't, I can't even, I don't have it in, but, but he's talking all about like this, like he's real, man. He's like, Justin. Like, I gave him a high five and he prayed for me during, like, it's real. He's not some spirit, some apparition. That was the spirit of Antichrist that was resisting that Jesus truly came in the flesh, became one of us, took our sins, made a way to the Father for us. Spirit of Antichrist, deceiving in the world. Let's go back real quick to what does Antichrist mean? Do you remember the definition at the very beginning? I know, it's like, <laughs> you're like... Was that 18 weeks ago? <laughs> Antichrist means either one who opposes Christ or a counterfeit, someone who sets a different kind of secret sauce to what the church should be about, to what our walk with God should be about, other than who Jesus is and him alone. 
Antichrist. John said, man, they're already out, man. The world's full of the spirit of Antichrist. The, 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 the enemy's resisting actively what Jesus came to do and the kingdom that he deposited upon us to carry forth. So here's the question, guys. If, and notice, someone told me years ago, notice it's not called anti-Jesus, it's called anti-Christ. Semantics? What's the difference there? Chosen one? Christ means anointed one. That anointed dates back to kind of that idea of smearing with oil, endowing with authority to accomplish something, to go and do something. Have you heard people in our world talk about, oh, Jesus, Christ, yeah. Like, hmm, isn't he cuddly? And didn't he talk about not judging and like being nice to each other and stuff? Like, most people don't resist Jesus, do they? As a good teacher, as a good example. Have you, really? I mean, right? I think most people, like, it's cool to be like, oh, no, no, yeah, like, Jesus. Oh, no, that's your thing? Absolutely. Oh, dude, I'm totally hip to Jesus. Like, anyway, I have, like, a tattoo of, you know, whatever. I have, like, a necklace or something, right? So not many resist Jesus, but it's the Christ, it's the anointing, it's the authority in him when he said, hey, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I'm commissioning you guys go. Make disciples of all nations. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Man, that's, them is fighting words. That's anointing words. That's not just a man who loves people. That's God incarnate speaking with authority, giving his disciples authority to go forth Proclaim his name to the nations. Share the good news of who he is. His great, incredible righteousness in our place. So here's the deal. If the enemy is resisting, and, and it's in our world, right? Like we can talk about Jesus, but don't talk to me about what he actually came to do. And you, do you feel that spirit? Have you felt that resistance when you've tried to share your faith? When you've tried to, there's a spirit sometimes in others. And I'm not talking, you know, like eyes rolled back and, you know, manifesting and, vomiting, whatever. But, but there's a spirit resisting. So if that's true, how can we best prepare to be faithful to Jesus and victorious over the spirit of Antichrist? Whether it be now or at the end, how, how can we? Ooh, Holy Spirit, good. Anybody else? What? The word of God, be filled with the word of God? yes. Mm. Remain under his authority, under his anointing. He's the victor. Anybody else? Prayer and fasting. Man, using those spiritual practices that just submit our flesh to his lordship over us. Because, right, if I'm truly recognizing him as the anointed one of God, it's not just like, yeah, he's my pal. No, no, he's my king. Like, I'm... Uh, yeah, I love that. What about this, guys? I wrote this down. I'll close with this by reading uh, Isaiah 61. What if the best way to prepare for any activity of Antichrist, present or future, is to get on board with Christ? You know, if Antichrist resists his anointing, what if getting in line with his anointing is the best way? I might not understand all the facts and figures about the beast and ten crowns and horns and who's when and what, 
I don't know if, how much of that was fulfilled with Nero, how much in the destruction of Jerusalem, how much is still to come, when the 70th week of Daniel is. I honestly don't know, guys. But here's what I do know. That if I get my heart and my spirit aligned under the authority of Jesus the King, the anointed one, if I let him reveal to me what his authority has, has called me and empowered me to do with him in this world, that I believe that if there's an antichrist that shows up like the movies talked about, I will be ready because I'll be like, nope, not doing your thing. I already have a king, thank you very much. I already have a savior. I already have an anointed one that I'm going to follow and obey and put all of my trust in. Amen? So I'm going to leave you with this, Isaiah 61. Listen to the word of the Lord. This was quoted by Jesus, of course, referring to himself in Luke chapter 4. But he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. The Christ, the Lord has anointed me. And guys, we are in Christ, anointed with him to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God on his enemies, not on us, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Jesus, for your word to us, God. Lord, I just, uh, God, I pray that you would sift and filter through all of the different things. God, maybe you're speaking to different ones of us about going back to Daniel and studying that or going back to Revelation or Thessalonians or whatever. God, I pray you would empower and guide each of us in our own discoveries, in our own landing places. We might not all land on the same place of all the details and years and interpretations. But God, I pray that there be one place that we all do land on. That God, every one of us will walk out of here tonight saying, Jesus, I want to be under your anointing, Lord. I want to both be a recipient of your good news, of your freedom, of your sight for the blind, of the year of your favor in my life and my family. And God, I want to be recognized that you have anointed me and you to go and set others free, to go in the power of your spirit and your name and, and, and be about the Father's business and see your kingdom expand. Lord, help us to remember that God, if we have a, a, a better and a clearer view of hope than the world does, we'll be able to influence people with your spirit that much more. God, I pray your hand upon us, your spirit fill us, your, your peace, your joy, your hope, your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.